welcome to a new episode of Startup Diaries, brought to you by Bern Sheehan, a leading technology recruitment business based in London and Manchester. In this episode, we have founder and CEO of Tuba, Dash Tabor, joining us. Tuba is a predictive analytics platform helping business leaders turn data into action fast. It gives businesses the power to make informed actions and predictions from complete and incomplete data sets. In this episode, Dash dives into how Tuba tackles common problems that businesses face with raw data and gives her advice on where to start if you're feeling overwhelmed with your data and where to start when it comes to building your data strategy. Dash then gives us a very honest account of her experience fundraising as a female founder and some of the very troubling experiences she's faced in comparison to her male founders, sharing her advice to other female founders going through investment rounds and how the VC community can make meaningful change going forward. We think it's a good episode. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Dash. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, it's great to be here. Do you want to do a bit of an introduction to your story behind just this, uh, behind Tuba and yourself as well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I guess I'll start a little bit about Tuber and what is the company doing. Um, We're on a mission to remove the barriers that keep companies from being able to access machine learning and AI technology Mm -hmm. um, with time series data. So time series data is data that's constantly flowing. And Mm -hmm. if you think about what those barriers are, it's that they don't have enough data. Um, It can take a long time, six to eight months, to get a project going. And it can be really expensive, hiring new skills, upskilling. So, you know, starting costs can start at about 100K. Um, But we have a service product that needs 80% less data, um, is um, all service, so you don't have to hire in-house skills, Mm -hmm. and you can start seeing results in even up to two weeks, so it's Mm -hmm. quite quick quite quick there. Mm -hmm. And I guess the little bit of background about myself is I actually didn't come from a a data background or technical background. Um, I found my way into tech in one of my first roles. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, I started working with data and started understanding data, you know, over a decade ago, Mm -hmm. um, which was very overwhelming and scary. So I can understand what it feels like for a lot of these businesses to want to do something with their data and think, Mm -hmm. what is this puzzle piece? And Mm -hmm how do I look at it Um, and then really went through that journey of understanding how data works together building data propositions creating data sets creating data um, products and that's how we landed here awesome well look one of the things when we're putting this podcast together is that there's a phrase and it was raw data Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about exactly what raw data is and how that works alongside with your product yeah absolutely so one of the things that we like to try and be is slightly data agnostic in a sense Mm -hmm. Um, so raw data is really and what it sounds like in a very like simplest form, it's kind of what comes straight out of the machine. And what comes straight out of the machine can sometimes be messy, it can be sparse, um, it can just be a bit all over the place. So what typically happens is you take that messy, complicated data and you clean it or you run services over it so that you have um, you know, different types of data sets in that sense. And that can be quite overwhelming in, a, in an initial sense um, of really understanding that data bit. So, so we can take uh, that take that raw data or the process data, you know, whatever whatever a company has, and be able to work with it and still see amazing results. So, do you want to tell us how you really tackle that problem then? That you're seeing we're tackling the problem that we're seeing by being able to take data from companies mm-hmm. and and. Um, work with that data to feed through our machine learning and AI. Um, It's different because it's physics 
based methodology. It's still oh, wow, statistical. Okay. Yeah. Um, some of the cool things about using a different methodology than statistical is that we actually understand how the data fits together. So we can bring out valuable insights as to what's potentially impacting certain aspects of your business mm-hmm. in ways that you wouldn't have necessarily understood before. Um, then we feed that data back into the business in a prediction data set. Um, and we're solving problems like um, operational use cases. So how many staff do you need to have on on deck at a certain time mm-hmm. in order to make sure you can manage demand, but also you know not create waste? Mm-hmm. Where predicting stock levels. We're also predicting stock levels based on seasonality. Mm-hmm. So if you're uh, you know, a pub and you want to know when people are going to start buying PIMS, yeah. Um, we, <laughs> yeah, we can start predicting like, oh, it might be a week earlier this year. Yeah. Um, th- those type of things yeah. um, in order to help solve some of those problems. I always think cider goes through the roof in summer. That must be like a thing or something. What is it? White wine, cider, PIMS, what else? Like, I don't all the good refreshing ones, yeah. right? How does you also mentioned there that there was kind of physics built into it. I mean, how did you that come about? I mean, it seems like, is, is it probably a non-traditional to maybe what others are doing in a way? Yes, we are the first, or one of the first commercial companies that we found um, focusing on a physics methodology. Okay. Um, my co-founder is a physicist um, and has you know higher degrees in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes from a bit of an academic background. So he had been researching Uh, different methodologies for machine learning and AI and looking at physics when I basically came to him with this small data problem. Um, And so he was able to apply what he knew already to create this product, which sees amazing results. Mm -hmm. Typically with machine learning, you get 70 to 75% accuracy from the onset. We typically see 85%. And then since it's continuous learning model, Mm -hmm. um, we can see into the 90s. Yeah. pretty quickly within a couple of weeks so physics beats computer science is what you're saying really. <laughs> well i think it's it's just a new form of computer science maybe <laughs> yeah, possibly you're probably right there so your target sort of audience your, your client base is a lot of the time it's hospitality you were saying i think um so if your business is feeling overwhelmed with the data i guess where where does it start that you you can help come in and build that kind of data strategy what what do you go about doing and helping them well i think that one of the good things to understand is that there is a um, a journey with data one is realizing you want to do something with data the next is collecting it then you need to analyze it so you need to kind of understand a bit of what's going on Mm -hmm. and then you can move on to machine learning and ai and so what we found is really there's a sweet spot for once you've been collecting you have it somewhere, you have an idea of what you have. Um, even if you don't quite understand how it works together or what you're going to do with it or any of those bits, but when you're ready to then apply the machine learning and AI, then we can come in and, and build off of what you've already been collecting. Okay. So is there a certain point when someone should be looking at it? Is there like a starting point from your point of view? Yeah, I would say, I mean, if you're collecting data mm-hmm. and you're trying to increase your margins, you're trying to increase your revenue, you're trying to you know, improve your operation and manage, it, manage those processes, mm-hmm. then that's probably when you should start looking at machine learning and AI. Yeah. Um, we've worked with the data and been able to show that we can increase um, online booking by 
48%. Oh, wow. um, in other situations, we've had you know 7% increase, which doesn't sound as high, but it's still equated to 10 to 12K additional revenue a month. You know, it depends on, on the use case. But yeah. there's right now, particularly when we're being crunched, businesses are being crunched, individuals are being crunched, mm-hmm. families, um, you know, any way that you can, you can claw back a little bit of money or a little bit of savings and also improve your customer experience. Yeah. It's worth checking it out. Absolutely. Um, I would love to know what the vision for, for Tuber is and what's the future? Yeah, my vision is I, um, I, I want any company to be able to access to be able to access this technology, mm-hmm. so you know, right now we're focused more on kind of medium-sized businesses that have started their data journey. But I would love for the local takeaway shop to eventually be able to collect a bit of data and be able to explore and apply machine learning to predicting what orders they're going to have or if they're going to be takeaway or delivery or, um, you know, what staff they need to have on place. You know, all these things that can really help them grow their business. Um, I would just, I, I want to be able to be the platform for time series machine learning AI. Sounds like a good platform to be. Um, with, I'd love to ask you kind of two questions here because you're going through a, a fundraising journey at the moment. Um, but firstly, I'd like to know a bit about that journey um, at the moment and where, where you're up to and how, you, how you're finding that. But I'd also like to dive into something that's really important to us on the podcast. Obviously, there's not a huge amount of investment actually that goes into female founded businesses. So I'd also like to see hear it from your perspective and what you see and how, what your experience has been like as you know as a as a female leader and a female founder as well. Mm-hmm. Um I would say that my journey's been quite long in a sense of of how I've evolved over over the course of, of fundraising. Yeah. Um one of the things that I realized early on is that I needed to understand the psychology behind what was happening to me as a female founder. Mm-hmm. Um, I often would get quite down um, when I would see friends go and raise that didn't have as much traction mm-hmm. or were at a very early stage, more money on a higher valuation. And I think, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I really started to dive into what's, what is going on here. Um, and after a few comments like, am I the next Elizabeth Holmes? Or what value do I add to the business? Should it just be my co-founder, my male co-founder? Oh, wow. oh. Or you know, these little things that were coming up that I thought, okay, I'm, I, can, I can tackle this and I can change my perception yeah. in order to overcome it. So I started looking at why is it women raise differently and how could I overcome that? And what I learned was that there's promotive questions and preventative questions. Um, and those promotive questions are growth and everything great. And that's what an investor wants. How are you going to grow? How are you going to be amazing? How are you going to be huge? And then there's preventative, which is everything that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And since women get asked what 90% of preventative questions, it did two things for me. One, it taught me to really think about my business and what could go wrong and how I was going to mitigate those problems. Mm-hmm. So I really had to dig into my business and understand like all the different aspects of it. But then it also made me realize all the things that could go right and how to take that preventative question and turn Damn. it into promotive question. And once I was able to do that a lot better, my fundraising journey changed. Right. So the fundraise that we're doing right now 
has been significantly easier, a lot less soul crushing. Um, and I haven't gotten as many of the, the negative comments like, am I the next Elizabeth Holmes? I was going to say, how, the, the, one of the questions in there were, you, you were asked that you said uh, was, you know, why wasn't it just be your co, well, your, shouldn't it just be your, your, your co-founder? How did you deal with that in the moment? Were you prepared for that or was that a bit of a shock, that one? I was such a shock. Like, it was actually in person. So um, my co-founder wasn't there and I was in person having just done my first in-person pitch event, like once we started coming back to to face things. Mm -hmm. And it did, it really caught me off guard. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm here. I just answered all your questions. I just did, what? And I was just like, (laughs) what? And he did it in front of like six other interested investors, which kind of turned them off because I don't really feel like I had a great answer for it. I kind of looked at him and I said, well, I'm here and I do all the commercial bits and he does all the technical bits. So we really can't do it without each other. Like, and it didn't really seem to satisfy him. He seemed to be like, "Mm, okay. And I just remember thinking, huh. But it made me feel so much better because I called my co-founder as soon as I got out and he was so mad. Mm. He was so mad. He just, he was like, this is insane. If if it wasn't for you, I'd just have cool technology that I build in my bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, okay, he was like, we don't want him anyway. I was like, yeah, it's true. Yeah, well, again, one of the things that we've, we've learned in interviewing businesses that have gone through that is there's got to be a personality connection mm-hmm. with that investor you've got to they're coming on part of the business ultimately I know they're giving you money but there's more that a VC or an investor can give so if they're giving you preventative questions mm-hmm. you've got to yeah I think are they really serious and do we would we want them as part of that that board I guess one thing that I've learned as well through this fundraising journey is that our mission and our vision drives the investors that we talk to and the right the right investors for that and sometimes I'll talk to investors and I know right away you know what you don't see how big this is you don't see where where we're going and that's fine Mm -hmm. but you know if you're gonna fight with me over valuation or you're gonna fight with me over um other other areas then and I have you know a handful of investors who do agree with these things, mm-hmm. then all right, let's just let's just say goodbye because I know that this can be a really big thing, and yeah. we want to stay really mission focused yeah. with the people that we bring on. Yeah, well, look, we, we're really like a tech focused podcast when it comes to interviewing people, but one of the things that I've learned again through doing the podcast and going to networking events and attending things like Fund Her North is actually where the money's coming from there's also a diversity issue within within vcs and within finance so it's like vc finance has its own uh, diversity issue and so tech has a different diversity issue and if you think they're both supporting each other that they, they, they both need to improve and diversify in who they have in their skill set i think tech are doing that i think that it's more and more positive we have a lot of diverse female especially female founders coming on the podcast but um yeah it seems like there's still a lot of hurdles to to jump would love to just sort of get from the experience that you've had there is there a bit of advice or two that you'd give to someone who's maybe starting that investment journey tomorrow like what what would you say to look out for yeah i think a couple of things one i think staying mission focused right. on on what you're trying to achieve finding legal support early mm-hmm. so that you understand if those terms that you're getting right actually supports um 
the mission you're trying to achieve because it's so it's so important it's so critical even in the beginning mm-hmm. um i think learning how to identify what types of questions that you're getting and how to tell your story yeah. is really important for for that narr- narrative and one thing that i feel like i only really started to even learn and you hear it but find the right investors for you um and don't spend time on the ones that that aren't um for example vcs right mm-hmm. i when we first started talking to vcs they'd say oh we have a 200 million pound fund and i'd go okay great they have money check <laughs> but that like that's actually a really important piece of information because yeah. If they're putting a bet into you, they're betting you could be one of the one of the startups that's going to return their fund. Um, so if they're if a two hundred million pound fund wants to invest in you, they're expecting two hundred million plus out of their yeah. what eight ten percent or less that they have at the end of it. So you know they're expecting you to end a, a billion valuation so that they get their money, and so. Once I started to understand that, then I could start saying, okay, wait a minute, like, actually, this is the right person for me, or this one isn't. And early on, there are a lot of there are a lot of VCs I should have never spoken to because their funds were too big. Um, We didn't have the vision to say that we could do that yet. Um, We didn't have the traction, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So understanding the thesis of the investor is actually really important, and I think it will save your soul. Because yeah. talking to people who aren't right for you just yeah. crushes your soul. I never knew that, that that bit of information, to be honest with you, about the size of fund reflecting on the kind of what they're wanting back from, from you as well. Mm-hmm. So that's that's new to me. That's a, that's really good to know. So if anyone doesn't know that as well as listening, make sure you keep that in mind. Um, the last two questions we always ask, um, I'd, I'd love to dive into with you. The first one is, what's been the biggest challenge um, in your career to date itself? Oh goodness! Um, it sounds like we've covered one pretty big one. With the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the VC side of things. Cracking, going on. I still wouldn't say I'm good at it. Um, <laughs> let's see. What's? I mean, obviously, starting a startup is yeah. a huge challenge, mm-hmm. um, and I run across huge challenges every day. But mm-hmm. I would say, because of my previous experience, it makes it a little bit easier to to handle the imposter syndrome or handle all the scenarios that come up today, even though quite often I'm like, who do I need to know? Um, but I would think going back to kind of my early career when there weren't as many women in tech, when I was the only female in management at a fairly large company um, in my in my division, and you know, sitting around trying to find a voice at the table, um, and then trying to be respected while also you know staying true to who I was and yeah. you know what I'm comfortable with. Um, and I think through that process, I had to I had to navigate that. I had to navigate how to be clear and communicative. Communicative. I had to navigate how to ask for a pay rise because yeah. that's actually really hard for females to do. Mm-hmm. Asking like a man does not work. And I think it was through me understanding that asking like a man is not going to get me a pay rise after months of trying and showing them my stats and mm-hmm. market and ONS data and mm-hmm. you know everything unachieved and and then realizing, wait a minute, I have to ask for money differently. Um, I started asking for the team. So I was like, the team is underpaid. Mm -hmm. I got 
I doubled my salary in 18 months yeah. once I started doing that. So I would say those challenges are actually some kind of harder in a sense because they were new. Yeah, yeah. Where now what I learned there, I can apply in weird ways here. Well, I'll say, wait a minute, I navigated that situation differently. So yeah. I'm, how, what are all the different ways I can navigate this situation? Yeah. And hopefully eventually I get there. <laughs> a, a quick question actually about that is obviously you said you were like the only female in leadership who, who do you look to, to as like a mentor then when you're in that position do you is the only choice to look at an, a, a male up little chain or do you look externally or is it just you plow on and, and, and do what you do type of thing I was lucky that I happened to have a boss join the company to kind of run my division mm-hmm. um, that did kind of allow me take me under his wing in a sense mm-hmm. um, which I don't know that I like that that phrase in a sense um but um he was really good at helping me work through things and in fact we both like running and so we ended up doing our our one-to-one catch-ups we'd go for our 5k and really? run around the block so and i actually met up for a drink with him just like two nights ago i hadn't talked to him in like a year and a half but i sent him a text and was like we need to catch up um and still to this day he's the most supportive person of me ever but I think I've been lucky that I did have um people who really believed in me and believe in you yeah. know what we're doing now as well I like the idea of a five 5k one-to-one having said that if any of my team are listening it will turn into a race and I will win so <laughs> it will not be a good one-to-one so we would race so we would we wouldn't race we do a 5k we actually got up to 10k at one point we were doing 10k in about 40 minutes um and but that last like stint he'd start going a little faster so I start going a little faster and the last like block or something was always us just like pounding it out (laughs) and we'd get to the the office of the stairs and we'd be like (laughs) you know he'd win one day I'd win the next it would depend on who got the head start and everybody would be walking out for lunch or you know whatever it was and we'd just be like oh man Um, that's awesome it was great I love that Um, finally then the last question we, we ask is well as what what sort of advice what one bit of advice would you give someone who's looking to start their own business tomorrow oh goodness um well i think that if you know how hard it's going to be you'd probably never do it Mm -hmm. so i would say expect it to be harder than times at five million and then um, but but also kind of don't overthink it like put a process in place Figure out what you need to do to validate it and, um, you know, work your plan. But just keep checking yourself constantly. Like, is this a viable business? Uh, is this something that I can run for the next five to ten years? Is this something I want to take investment or I don't? Um, but, I mean, if you really feel passionate about something, then I think it's definitely worth trying to validate and determining what, what can show if it's worth putting your time and effort into Awesome. No, I really appreciate that, Dash. Thanks for joining us. Um, we'll wrap it up there, but hopefully you enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. it's been great. Great to be here. Thanks. Yeah.